Hello, America. Welcome to the Marriage Reboot Show, hosted by Herb and Lily Thomas. This is the Christian Marriage Reboot Training Academy. The Christian Marriage Reboot is the only real-life experience that instantly changes your life and your daily activities and behaviors into the marriage that God intended. We're looking to create redemption stories. The enemy of our souls would love to see your family fall apart. The world has normalized divorce, and it is painful because the Lord says that when a man and a woman marry, they become one flesh. Divorce is a separation of that flesh, but at Marriage Reboot, we believe divorce can be avoided, and your children and futures and your generations can be salvaged to create a great redemption story right. through the love and the renewing of the mind of Jesus Christ. To be eligible for the Christian Marriage Reboot Training Academy, the couple must answer yes to four questions. Are you married? Are you both Christians? Are you struggling in your marriage? And are you willing to follow Jesus? If the couple answers yes to those four simple questions, they are perfect for the Training Academy and are eligible to buy now and immediately purchase their place. Hello, America. Hello, everyone. It's Herb and Lily Thomas with the Marriage Reboot Show, and we're so glad that you joined us today. We hope that you had a wonderful thanks uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, oh, my Valentine's. word, how far back am I? <laughs> the Valentine's Day yesterday. <laughs> but we hope you were very thankful for each other husbands and wives, and that you demonstrated that kindness in loving and joyful ways. So uh, anyway, Herb, you want to tell us about what we're going to be doing today? Great. Um, well, first of all, what we're going to be doing, I want, I want, first of all, you to introduce our family. Will you do that for us? Because I, I think they need to know who we are. All right. Well, Again, Herb and Lily Thomas, the Marriage mm -hmm. Reboot Show. We live in Dallas, Texas. We have three wonderful sons, three beautiful daughters in love, and eight grandchildren, ranging in age from six months to 11 years of age. Mm -hmm. Our 11-year-old will be 12 in May. So we are very, very blessed. They all live in Dallas, so we get lots of opportunity to be with them. Yeah, it was really cool. Just two weeks ago, we celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary. So that was pretty cool. Um, so today what we're going to do is we just want to uh, help out everyone out there who's watching on how to do marriage properly and how to do family properly and according to God's way. And um, to be able to do that um, uh, is to be able to understand that right now most of us have broken families and we have broken broken marriages and because of that uh, we've got a terrible problem that's going on and that's where uh, over the last 60 years the the percentage of, of marriages that are strong and thriving have dropped from 72 percent to two percent of the u.s population which is really really uh, as you can tell you can look around and see broken families everywhere they're they're uh, they're shattered we want to help you to put those back together. We want to tell you, but the only way to do that is through God's way to do that. And so today what we're going to do is go through a short story that uh, we, we published. 
Um, it's taken off. It's gone viral. Uh, there's 14,000 likes. Uh, there's 800 shares. There are 1,400 comments on it. Uh, so apparently it's touched a lot of people and they've recognized that that applies to them a lot in a lot of situations. If not, this is a great way to be a best friend to somebody else to show them how to fix their marriage. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is go down uh, really just the first year of Jennifer and John's story and talk about that and see where they went wrong and how God would fix that. Uh, they actually in age, they in, in year 22 are looking back and have realized what God would have had them do back then. And uh, it's going to really help them in their new marriages. Uh, but, uh, you know, to see how they could have done it originally, we're going to do today. So we're, the way we're going to do that is we're going to, uh, Lily's going to read uh, the fir first part of year one, uh, and then we're going to discuss what went wrong, because that was her question, Jennifer's question, and then second of all, we're going to show how God uh, would have d uh, shown them how to fix that. So uh, can you can you read? Sure. And it's going to be just like, a, uh, this is a fireside chat. It's just going to be like reading a, a bedtime story to you. Now, that's what I was going to point out. Herb mm -hmm. said, can you have the fire going in the background? Because <laughs> I want to do a fireside chat. Mm -hmm. And this is not to intimidate, intimidate, but it we do hope it will give revelation mm -hmm. to perhaps some things that maybe you want to work, work on in your marriage. And then more than anything, we want to give you hope that in mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, there is always hope. Absolutely. He can come in if you will let him and mm -hmm. he can work in ways that would exceed what you could ever hope or imagine. Mm -hmm. So as we do the fireside chat, mm -hmm. we hope that it will light up anything that you need to see. Mm -hmm. It will fan the flame of your love and commitment to one another. Mm -hmm. And then it will reignite your marriage and your family. Mm -hmm. So just sort of think about that with the backdrop of the fire going. Mm -hmm. um, let me see here. I am supposed to read. Yes. Okay. I will need my reading glasses. Okay. Um, so Jennifer and John's story unfolds over two decades. Um, a testament to in the enduring yet tumultuous nature of love shaped by the scars of the past and the shadow of childhood chaos. Their journey begins in the year 2000 fresh with promise of a shared future, yet unknowingly burdened by the baggage which each one would bring into their marriage. Year one, the honeymoon phase. In the initial days, Jennifer and John's love seemed unassailable. Jennifer's dominant personality, a facade built up upon layers of past trauma, found a seemingly perfect complement in John's passive-aggressive demeanor a survival tactic from a childhood marred by disorder. However, their conflicts, when they arose, followed a predictable yet unhealthy pattern. Minor disagreements quickly escalated as Jennifer asserted her control, driven by fear, while John retreated into a shell of passive resistance, expressing his dissent through delayed actions or sarcastic comments. Now we move to the, toward the end of year one, and uh, year one, love gone wrong. 
Jennifer and John, as a young newlywed couple, faced a variety of sexual problems or struggles in their early years of marriage. John felt like he had a tiger by the tail inside of him needing sex every day, where Jennifer had little or no desire to engage in sex because of her rape at age 16 that she was ashamed to tell John about. Jennifer obliged John every Saturday night when she was drunk to do her duty. Jennifer felt pressured and John felt rejected. John needed a release daily, so he masturbated using internet pornography. Because of John's PTSD from losing his left leg in Fallujah, uh, uh, Iraq, and seeing his best friend's head blown off, he shut down and refused to communicate with Jennifer about his dissatisfaction with their attempts to make love. Jennifer needed to have a regular emotional connection with John, but felt abandoned by John in her own home, just like her father George had done to her. Frustration began to build. The pressure and anxiety that Jennifer felt to perform well sexually came from her upbringing in the church that good girls service their, their husbands as, their, as his only outlet of release and to keep him from pursuing other women in pornography. Throughout their first year, John experienced times of erectile dysfunction while Jennifer secretly cheered, while Jennifer never could achieve orgasm. Many times, Jennifer experienced discomfort and pain, which she later found out was vaginismus, uh, involuntary tightening of the vagina during intercourse or insufficient lubrication. Of course, John was like he was running a sprint and released and or pre prematurely ejaculated two minutes and it was over. And he often, uh, Jennifer said, I often wondered how we even conceived three children. There was never a thought of John's part of affectionate romancing through the day or even foreplay before intercourse. It was a slam band, thank you ma'am, roll over, roll off, go to sleep. Jennifer's best defense was staying very busy and stressed from, uh, from daily life while work, finances, and family obligations were making it easier for her to say. When John started getting aroused in bed, reaching over to her to say, not tonight, I am too stressed and tired. She was. She also convinced John that he snored, even when he didn't, and needed to sleep in the guest bedroom so that they both could get a good night's sleep. John was always wanting to see her naked, but she had body image and felt in, in intimacy issues that terrified her. As years passed, the gulf between them grew. John got his two minutes of ejaculation on Saturday nights. Jennifer got her three children they slept in different beds in different night rooms, and John masturbated daily. Okay. I realize that's pretty graphic, isn't it? But um, that's happening in, in so many families, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Uh, year End of year one, resentment, or silent resentment. In a small town where the church bells chimed every Sunday, Jennifer and John's marriage began with the promise. Bound by faith and love, they dreamed of a life filled with joy and unity. But as the days turned into months, their connection frayed under the weight of unspoken grievances and diverging paths. Jennifer found herself alone, wrestling with the silence that had replaced their once vibrant conversations. The distance between them grew with each passing day, marked by separate bedrooms and lives that barely intersected. 
Jennifer is thinking about her first year of marriage to her husband, John. What went wrong? We were both saved by Jesus Christ when we were married, but rarely go to church now or even open our Bibles. Jennifer is very disillusioned that their relationship has gotten so bad that they used to fight all the time, but now they don't even talk. They have separate to-do lists every day. They go to bed and they wake up at different times in separate bedrooms. They don't do any activities together. He watches sports and she is left doing all the household chores. He is always going on business trips or trips with the guys, but always wants sex, which only lasts two minutes and then he's through. He controls the finances and he keeps her in the dark while she is fearful of going bankrupt because her dad did. He doesn't talk to her or show any affection and, he, and she feels alone and isolated. Lately in her silence, she is starting to get angry with the way he treats her. Okay, now let's let's uh, dissect this and see where 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 they went wrong. That's her question. Where did we go wrong? And so, this is with the perspective of um, what are some of the things that uh, went wrong that first year. Well, why don't you start? Because well, I know I, you've kind of broken it out. Okay. Well, you know, first of all, it, it would it was very evident that they had different personalities. She was dominant and controlling uh, for, because of her past trauma, uh, and he was uh, passive and passive aggressive, uh, and because of his past uh, trauma, and so those those personalities uh, really disrespected each other in the way they went about doing things. Uh, so uh, you know, they they had uh, sexual problems uh, with the way that John did not do any emotional, phys uh, spiritual or physical intimacy uh, toward her. Uh, he, uh, she, she did not enjoy it at all because it was painful um, and because of her past uh, it made it very difficult for that to be. And, and, and the church upbringing was that she was doing it for the wrong reason. Um, and that, not the way God intended it. Uh, there were di they had different bedtimes and different times. So, so they, she first lied to him that he snored when he didn't, but that was just to get him out of the bedroom. Um, he, but he was ambivalent about it and went along with it. Um, and they spent very little time together. Uh, they didn't do things together. He went on trips. She, 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 she he would he would watch sports shows have really nothing to do with her, leave all the the, the uh, family chores to her to do. Um, and it was, uh, and it got to be where she was, she, he didn't talk to her anymore. Now that might've been because of the PTSD, but the fact is that she needed that ability to have uh, emotional connection and she didn't have it. And so she felt isolated, uh, she felt lonely. Um, and right at the end, she started getting angry. So, um, now, okay, so if those were the reasons things were going wrong, because they were diverging, they were withdrawing from each other into separate parallel lives, if they had a chance to do it over, as, as she's thinking back on the 22nd year, later on in the, that, uh, she's thinking of it, but she's learned God's way to do this. What are, what are some of the, now just to give you a little background, 
to be able to do it God's way, what I mean by that is that you make three decisions and and you have and you have nine biblical behaviors that you engage with, with into three covenant relationships, which is Christ, husband, wife, and children. Okay. Now, um, applying that, because we know what those are, um, what are what are some of the ones that you would apply to them that could have helped them day one? Well, I, the, going back, though, and just looking at some of the things that were not going right, I, I first and foremost see that, you know, it said they stopped going to church. Mm. They stopped reading their Bible. Absolutely. Uh, I that didn't hear anything about being in a biblical community that could encourage them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the biggest things I see is neither one of them was communicating their needs to the other one. Um I think, you know, you stop and you think, oh, how great it would have been if they had just been able to talk Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. the get go to be able to address some of these things. But it just seemed like they just didn't have any tools at all. Mm -hmm. So they had individual problems, which just bled over Mm -hmm. into uh, marriage problems and Mm -hmm. just created um, a home where they're just there was no love. Mm-hmm. They both of them were hungry for something. They couldn't tell the other what their needs were, um, and they, um, rather than trying to figure out how they could do that, they had some pretty they, serious. They uh, didn't do any past trauma issues that they brought into the marriage, which is very common these days. On that, uh, one of the things I was thinking about that would have helped them is um, if they use the mutual decision process. Now, that's a process where you uh, you communicate to the other person what you would like to do, what, what your desire is, and the other person uh, has to be part of the decision. And they, when they do make, it has to be together and it has to be enthusiastic about it so that when you move forward, first of all, it improves communication because you're talking to each other for the first time about every future thing you're doing. And so it causes you to talk a lot together about a particular, about the future, about what's going to happen. Uh, and second of all, you don't move forward unless you're happy with the result. So I think that neutralizes a lot of the, the, the trauma that they brought into it of one, his trauma, he brought it, he wouldn't talk, forces him to talk. She wanted to control because of her fear. But this didn't let her control because he had to be enthusiastic before they moved forward. So it had to be a compromise between there. And so that neutralized uh, the trauma, which is pretty powerful right there. Um, let's see. Uh, what about um, what are some of the other things that that uh, that, you know, we've got other things like forgiveness, uh, un- being becoming unselfish, spending more time together Um you know, you brought up about renewing of the mind into the mind of Christ. Instead of seeing things through your own eyes, you're seeing things through his eyes. Um, what about that? Well, I think that, too, I love the idea of the mutual decision process, but they got to get some communication skills here. Uh, how do you, you can't begin a mutual decision process till you talk. Yeah. And it seems like rather than... Uh, trying to figure out how they could communicate where both of them felt safe both of them 
we're working toward the common goal of being one, becoming a team. That That's just so essential. And I think in so many marriages, we don't learn those, those skills. And they're certainly available. It's not like you, there aren't all kinds of communication classes out there. But first and foremost, too, the heart to want to be one. I don't... Um, yeah, I just, just to get them started, you're right. It's, that's tough. For the, you come in with all that baggage, then how do you get them started? Now, that was one of the reasons why we started the academy is because what it does is it gives you somewhere where you've got a safe place and it's trusting and it teaches you how to talk together uh, it, it, where, where you're building each other up and you're also uh, making mutual decisions moving forward. Um, but uh, it, 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 it makes things intentional um, and, and you've got a community around you. You were talking about how important mm-hmm. it is to have community around you. So they, they would, you don't necessarily have to do uh, the academy, but you need to do something like that. So that it, it has all those ingredients of, of a community group that supports you where you're in the Bible regularly. You'll be able to, you're, you're asking the Lord, what's my next step? You know, uh, you're, you're constantly saying, uh, you know, what's best for my spouse? What's best for the other person? And being unselfish, that's we come in as singles and get married and then we stay stay selfish. And and that's pretty much what they did. And this John and, and uh, Jennifer did and uh, obeying God's law of, of sacrificial agape love toward each other. And that's what at least John agreed to originally, which is to love your wife as Christ loves the church, which is sacrificially unconditional. Uh, to, if that had started um, um, immediately, he would not have just agreed to things. He would have been the leader. He would have have um, have, have have been washing her in the Word. He would be uh, uh, making sure that emotionally she's in good shape, spiritually she's in good shape, uh, that that physically she's in good shape in all different areas. It's really his responsibility to do that. He did not do that. Um, probably may not have known how to do it, but that's because he's not in the Word. The Word will tell you uh, to do that and instruct you how to do that, but you have to surrender to the Lord and allow his will to become your will before that happens. Well, and I, and I stop and I think, um, Herb and I, over the years, we've, we've done foundation groups, which is offered through our church, but for a year and a half, when you get married, uh, in the first two years, you're highly encouraged to go through a foundation group where you build, you establish these biblical foundations for marriage. You address communication, you address finances, you address uh, sexual and physical and emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You um, learn what the roadblocks are for good communication. So often couples don't even realize how they're communicating with one another. So beginning to understand uh, your different personalities, as her pointed out, that, you know, here you've got one that's dominant, you've got one that's passive aggressive, one that escalates if an argument occurs, another withdraws when an argument occurs. Um, But I think that what helped Herb and I at one point in our marriage was we did just a communication class that was offered at our church. Mm -hmm. And we were in a group. Actually, we were asked to lead the group 
But we learned so much in that group because we took tests to learn uh, what was what was my um, my kryptonite mm-hmm. in in communicating well with Herb. I was a withdrawer. Herb was an escalator. So the more I withdrew, the more he would escalate trying to get me to engage. Mm-hmm. The more he escalated, the more I withdrew. But even the recognition of that, then so you've got the four types of problems that you can have in communication. You can be a withdrawer, which I was, and which John was. Mm-hmm. You can be an escalator, mm-hmm. which Jennifer was, and which I, Herb was. Right. You can be a negative interpreter. Uh-huh. You can, And you saw that in Jennifer's behavior. Because of things that had happened in her home, she negatively interpreted, interpreted John's behavior. Yeah. In other words, her you, father you had, had abandoned her. John mm-hmm. would abandon her. Her mm-hmm. father had gone bankrupt. John was going to go bankrupt. That's mm-hmm. a negative interpretation. Mm-hmm. Then you've also got, what's the fourth one? Uh, invalidation. Invalidation. Mm-hmm. Lousy. Uh, <laughs> when you begin a conversation, remember about John? He uh-huh. began, he got sarcastic. Yeah, um, yeah. Passive, I was passive aggressive. Passive aggressive people are kind of dangerous in a sense that you won't see it coming. They may take you out in front of a whole group of people with a sarcastic comment about you. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things don't create the environment for the husband and wife to even talk. Mm-hmm. And so learning those skills are just so valuable and they became valuable to us because not only did we learn the skills, we started practicing them. Mm-hmm. The active listening that you use in a mutual decision process where you're not just seeing what the person is doing, you're understanding the heart behind why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. Last week when we were talking with Patch and Tim mm-hmm. and they were talking about where they do the program, what was it called? Something uh, strange. Clifton strengths. Clifton strengths, mm-hmm. and you you learn about the personality of yourself and of each other. Right. They said the great part about that is all of the sudden you start seeing why one of you behaves the way you do, mm-hmm. and it opens the door to give grace and understanding. Yeah. But it also opens the door to, for communication. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. so. It's I didn't ever see any part in this story mm-hmm. where either John or Jennifer sought out any help whatsoever. No. They uh, that's the biggest thing and when that's you're so dealing. Most when people you're, won't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with a problem, a lot of times you will isolate mm-hmm. or you will talk with people that are not going to try to help you with your marriage. They really will make destructive mm-hmm. comments. Well, he ought to treat you better than that. Or, mm-hmm. well, she should certainly accommodate you better than she is. And so all of those things of deciding that you don't, you really, really want to work on this marriage. Yeah. And you have to decide that that is important. And then you have to be intentional about doing it. And I never saw any intentionality no. um, mm-hmm. investing in the marriage. You have to invest every so day. So it was going bankrupt. Right. It was going bankrupt. Well, I just wanted to, to talk, let you know, we had we have a great church and it's got a great program. But you you have to be there to do that. We made the academy so that we can go after all those small uh, f- five, six hundred thousand small towns out there that are so isolated, and, and you're and you're you're struggling through these 
same struggles because you bring baggage or you bring trauma into the marriage and there's really no place for you to go to. You have to travel 200 miles to get to a counselor. Uh, it costs too much to do that. Uh, this is one where you're, uh, you're, you can be anywhere in the United States and be in a group of six other Christian couples who, uh, who have a Christian coaching couple uh, leading it uh, that uh, you meet once a week but during the week, you're essentially allowing Jesus Christ to make your all help you make all your decisions uh, in, in from His point of view to be able to bring you together as a husband and wife. But uh, so we're really reaching. We're not reaching out to the ones who are in the big cities who who are in churches who can come and spend time together. We're reaching for the ones who are isolated out there who who can come together on Zoom. Uh, once a week, but in the and, and go through chat rooms where you can pray for each other and those type of things to be able to build into each other's lives these nine biblical uh, uh, behaviors um, and be able to um, uh, uh, approach issues like one of the nine is to deal with your past trauma, identify it, and get with some ministry out there or some counseling that'll help you work through these things. And John needed to do it with PTSD. She needed to do it with past sexual abuse of rape. Uh, uh, they both had chaos from their their uh, childhood, uh, and a lot of fears were built up. You know, you're encouraged to deal with those as you go along because all these issues have to be dealt with. I think another big one that I've always, I can't discount, is forgiveness. That is such a huge thing because if you don't forgive the other person, that 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 builds up in you and eventually becomes contempt. And um, we we we're not going to talk about what true forgiveness is this week, but we have in a past podcast, and it's powerful. But it's really difficult because it takes the power of the Holy Spirit for you to really be able to forgive somebody when they aren't justified in doing it. But because you're doing it out of obedience to Christ to do that. So you can see all these things that, that Christ would have you do in your marriage to make it uh, to make it strong again and to fix it. Uh, but, you know, uh, you really can't do that if you aren't really investing in it every day, being intentional, as Lulie says, in, in applying these non-biblical behaviors to each other, uh, of, of being unselfish. That's a big one right there. Uh, being, as John, showing intimacy to, to her, you know, and not, because so many of us husbands, we, get, we marry and then we go in and we, we go start working on our business and we stop pursuing our wives and we stop get, doing showing intimacy and romance is what I'm talking about. We stop doing that and we stop doing what made us great to do that. And that starts the unraveling right there. And if John had done that from the beginning, all the other things would have come along. Communication, spending time together, uh, uh, doing things, you know, so that you become one and it didn't happen. So, um, that's we're here really to help you fix your marriage or your future marriage, because we're encouraging God's design is that everyone is married. That's the way it was before Adam and Eve came along that you, we were, he, he created the family, Christ, husband, wife, and children. It's three covenant relationships there, and with and, and there's a certain way to treat all those. And when you treat those, 
uh, the way he does it, they thrive. And it's not happening today in the United States. And um, if you if you surrender and turn and, and return to the Lord and allow him to direct you with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can fix your marriage or you can you can be prepared to do it right when you do remarry. So. Well, uh, I think what we can do is we're going to take a break right now and, and for, for about a minute and a half. And we're going to show you our Christian coaching couples uh, and how cool they are. They're from 10 states um, that uh, lead these uh, community groups from all over the nation. And uh, then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about John's uh, John and um, his his issues on that and wrap it up after that. Okay. See you in a minute. Okay. Let's take a break. everyone it's herb and luli thomas we're back we're the marriage reboot we've been discussing the story of john and jennifer who were married for 12 years and then divorced mm -hmm. but then 22 at 22 years since they had been married jennifer looks back and tries to figure out what went wrong mm -hmm. how could i have done it differently so we just talked about that and if you want if you didn't get to see it we'll love for you to watch the podcast once it gets posted and also follow us on Facebook as well. Right. Yeah. And because this it's called a, a short story and it's on Facebook and you can read, the, read it. Well, I mean though, this podcast oh, will yes. be available it for them be. to yes. see our discussion Absolutely. of the story. But also now we're going to kind of look at John's story right. and Herb's going to kind of talk about that. Yeah. We, <laughs> we kind of focused on Jennifer and what she had said is what went wrong. And we looked at that, but really, uh, we, we need to look at it from John uh, and see what John's story is all about because it's that's so important. So I'm going to read uh, year three 
called John's story, past trauma to you. And then uh, we're going to talk about it. Okay. Uh, year three, John's story, past trauma. My name is John and my life has been a journey through intense highs and profound lows. My faith in Jesus Christ has always been the cornerstone of my existence, even when I strayed far from his path. Joining the military was a calling I felt deeply, a way to serve my country and stand up for what I believed in. The horrors I, I witnessed in Fallujah, Iraq, particularly the loss of my left leg and the devastating death of my best friend to a roadside bomb marked the beginning of a battle I hadn't anticipated, the fight against PTSD. Returning home was not the hero's welcome I'd imagined. Instead, I found myself trapped in a war within my own mind, haunted by me memories I can't escape. The emotional disconnect was immediate and overwhelming. I was numb, stuck in an emotional rut that I couldn't climb out of. My relationship with Jennifer, a woman who saw past my physical and emotional scars, became a casualty of my inner turmoil. Desperate, uh, uh, despite her love and patience, I was withdrawn. The intimacy we once shared uh, re replaced by an insurmountable distance. I was emotionally guarded, disengaged, living a life parallel to hers, but never truly with her. Our marriage suffered deeply, crippled by my emotional isolation. In my darkest moments, I turned away from God, abandoning the church and the Bible had once been my solace. So what we're seeing here is the condition and, uh, and it all starts from the very first year. Um, although we were, we're, we're talking about over the first three years in the first year, um, uh, you can see that past trauma was a big thing. Um, how does, okay. So we were talking about with her, what went wrong? What went wrong with John? Well, I think that we've talked about this before, but you know, John had a lot of luggage he brought into the marriage mm -hmm. and, it would have been so wonderful had John sought out help before they got married. Yeah. I know that we have worked with couples before and we've encouraged them. You need to go unpack some of this baggage before you get married. Mm -hmm. But they didn't. And I don't know that it, since he hadn't processed what he was going through, how could Jennifer be part of it. He said Jennifer came alongside him and was patient in the beginning, but imagine if they had worked on it together. So they didn't unpack it before they got married, but once they got married, if Jennifer had been able in a way to encourage John to seek out help, mm -hmm. because it sounds like he never ever addressed any of this. He's telling you what he, he knows what's going on. He knows he has what is it? Post-traumatic stress syndrome? Mm -hmm. uh, Post-traumatic stress syndrome. So that's PTSD. SD. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or, okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> I I'm tr struggle with initials. <laughs> <laughs> I get them messed up sometimes. But anyway, had John been willing to uh, address it, and I don't know, did Jennifer, if there's something she could have done to create an atmosphere of working on that with him. Yeah. But well, you know, the one thing, the one thing 
that was a, a missing here that he had had before was what about the fact that he stopped going to church, he he, he stopped re- reading the Bible, he stopped having a, a a relationship with the Lord. If he had had that, or uh, you know, then he would be the one telling John, "You've got to go get help." Yeah. So it, you know, I I think that that was that was an element inside of their marriage that his past trauma really had to be addressed mm-hmm. in order for their relationship to grow. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they just began to live independent lives. Yeah. And I think John found different things to numb out the pain. Yeah. And none of them were good. Uh, rather than finding tools that could help him heal, mm-hmm. he found tools that really added to uh, the deterioration mm-hmm. of his state of mind and his well-being and certainly to the Mm -hmm. Uh, destroying his marriage yeah yeah well you know uh, he could have you know especially if he was you know this problem would probably have been evident pretty quickly you know and um, I feel like there was a lot of pride in there when he when he stopped uh, you know and and self-pity and other things where he stopped consulting with the Lord he stopped uh, uh, that relationship but that uh, if he had uh, listen to the Lord and and listen to his wife of her needs, uh, then he would have gotten help. Uh, and that's what is so important to be able to do that is to get help. Um, when you recognize past trauma that needs to be healed through Jesus Christ, you've got to go get help. Uh, in our church, we've got regeneration or, or there is uh, there's also um, uh, celebrate recovery. There are others that could really have helped him. Uh, I don't know all the ministries, but then, uh, you know, uh, that we would help you identify those. But if he had gone to those, um, you know, that would have started that process from the very beginning and helped Jennifer understand what he was going through and the need to be patient, but uh, that, that, it would, that it was on its road to, to, uh, to healing. And so um, that didn't occur. And, and because of that, it just got worse and worse and worse and really affected all areas of it. Um, and because of that, he wasn't able to do any of the other important things like romancing her, um, like uh, being the leader of the family and to be able to manage all areas of to make sure that those occur. None of those were happening because of the fact that he allowed uh, his past to really uh, totally dominate his future. Oh, that's a well said when you let the past dominate the future. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you're holding on to from the past uh, that isn't good, mm-hmm. whether it was done to you or choices that you made, if you hold on to those things, they're definitely going to have an impact mm-hmm. on all your future relationships. As her was talking about with Jennifer, she became angry. And there's just a scripture in in Hebrews 12 that says, you know, be very careful not to let a root of bitterness form because it will spring up and defile many. Mm -hmm. And as you see in the continuation of the story of John and Jennifer, it defiled their children. Yeah, Uh, it bleeds out. They were really angry with them. Uh, Mm -hmm. And 
if you think that any choices that you're making mm -hmm. are just about you, mm -hmm. there is no choice that we make that's isolated. Mm -hmm. It's not ever just about us. Every choice we make impacts the community around us. And so, but at any point, you can make a decision that can start turning that corner and heading you the right direction. And I've so often thought, even with my story, when the things that I brought into our marriage, once I decided to invite the Lord into that place, rather than giving my ch children and my marriage and family the curse of my pain, I was able to experience the healing I needed, and then that curse was turned into a blessing. Because then I could tell people that when you ask God into the middle of your pain mm -hmm. and your traumas and all the things from the past that you're carrying around, when you come to Him and allow Him to unpack that luggage at the foot of the cross and then fill you up with the peace and the healing and the mm -hmm. love and the grace that only He can give, then that overflows into all the other relationships. Mm -hmm. But the baggage that John and Jennifer both were carrying, that's all they had to give each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to end up closing here, but uh, before we do, the whole purpose of this was to teach you uh, not only that marriages are broken out there, but how to fix them. And there's only one way to fix them, and that's by making three one-second decisions and, and, and practice nine biblical behaviors in the the three covenant relationships of, of Christ, husband and wife, and children. And those three uh, de decisions are one, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, become, uh, and so therefore you're no longer, you're a child of God, you're a new person, and you're no longer a slave to sin, then to surrender and follow Jesus in, in, in all future uh, and allow him to guide you. And then the third one is to commit to the non-biblical behaviors of, of committing each other, like forgiveness, like uh, unforg unselfishness, uh, spending time together, uh, 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 intimacy, and, and we, we can go on over those all those uh, in, in another time. But if you do those, if you do the three decisions, the non-biblical behaviors, and the, to the three uh, covenant relationships daily, intentionally, you will have a thriving marriage and it will fix your marriage. That's the answer. It's hard, but it's easy. <laughs> so we're going to leave you with that, uh, but we hope you'll join us next week. Uh, we'll go in more to, in, to into the nine behaviors uh, because I think you're going to see that every one of those applied to John and Jennifer. Uh, and and they're, uh, the great thing about them in, in year 22, and both of them are just 44 now, they're, they're moving into second marriages and they're going to, they've learned these lessons and they're going to be applying those in their new marriages. And that's really exciting. Over 51% of marriages out there are blended blended families. So it's really critical uh, for you to apply those starting today. Thank you. Well, have a great week. We hope you'll come back next Thursday. And if you want to read the story in its entirety, mm -hmm. you can go to Facebook. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you can probably just put in a, uh, a short story. That might bring it up. Well, what, where do they but go it's under, on Facebook? Or they can go into Marriage Reboot. Okay. 
They go under marriage reboot, and the the title of the story is? um, A a short story, John and Jennifer. uh, Echoes of Regret? Echoes of Regret is one of them, yes. Okay, and so you can find that, and then we'll get our podcast up as well if you Mm want to just listen to this and maybe talk it over with your husband or your wife about maybe things that you picked up on that God showed you through this conversation. And if you're interested in the Academy, uh, email us or go to our website. And those are, uh, those are on the screen. Okay. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. And we look forward to seeing you next week.